0: Everyone and welcome to the third episode of Shipping Up to Boston, a very shippy Rosolian Isles podcast. My name is Kathy. And this is the episode called Sympathy for the Devil. Um, this episode was written by Joel Fields, who wrote a couple Rosalian Isles episodes, but mostly as a producer for some stuff I've never heard of. Um, the director is Roxanne Dawson, who only directed one episode of Resilient Isles, and she's worked on a lot of other stuff I like. Um, mostly, like, House of Cards, um, The Americans, like, all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, An episode of Aquarius, which I've actually never seen, but anytime I get to relate anything I'm doing to The X-Files, then it's a win because David Duchovny was in that. Um, she also did some Charmed and some Star Trek, so, like, I don't know. She's got a lot of credits for a lot of places. Um, this is not one of my favorite episodes. I feel like I understand why it exists. And I know that this show is only just taking off. And the political climate was a lot different in 2010. But I just feel like this episode doesn't sit well with me. Just because it seems to be a lot of like, uninformed mocking of certain religions. And while I understand that it's television and that happens all the time, I just think this one's a little teeny bit tone deaf. Um, but that's just me with my opinion. Um, there's a lot of juicy, shippy stuff in here and that redeemed it a little bit for me. The plot I could give or take, but, you know, I'm here for it. It's got some good character building. So the episode starts out with, (laughs) I called it a Tony Hawk pro skater scene, just because you see a lot of quote-unquote urban youth skateboarding with some generic hip-hop music that sounds exactly like the Tony Hawk soundtrack. And I kind of waited for this guy to fall over and see wasted on the screen, but that's fine. Um, He's skateboarding, and you see this really random creepy car drive up, and this kid walks up towards it, looking kind of shifty. And he's dressed really nice, like a, like a school shirt, like the nice button-down shirts and some black pants. Kind of look like he's going to be a server at Olive Garden. And then you cut to the credits. So, um, well, I guess it's not the credits yet. You get a really <laughs> cool scene <laughs> with uh, Jane Rizzoli in a dressing room with her mother. And I would just like to point out the simple fact that Angie Harmon dresses. That's it. That's the fact but I'd like to point it out. Uh, I really like the wallpaper (laughs) inside this dressing room. It reminds me of like a really kitschy, like tiny Southern boutique. Like it's going to be on like a BuzzFeed video or something. I don't know. I liked it. Um, I think it's interesting that in this episode, Jane Rizzoli is anti-dresses, like vehemently against fashion as a whole, Um, especially the dress that she put on because she looked really good. Um, But I just want to make mention of that because I feel like Later on in the series, that opinion may shift, but it's very in-character now that she's like a tomboy, and while she can dress up, she just chooses not to, and it's not practical. Um, Jane gets a call while she's in the dressing room, and of course, Angela just barges in. You know, okay, personal space, don't know her. But, and I feel like that's pretty in-character for Angela, too. I actually have a lot of problems with this character, just because I really despise helicopter moms, and I feel like Angela Rizzoli is like the epitome of helicopter moms i love lorraine brocco she plays it wonderfully i just hate the character which is probably a good thing because i mean she's doing it right uh so she gets the phone call she goes back onto the same street that we were at and you see the camera focus on a black shoe just tilted off to the side just generic black shoe i guess um, they all are huddled around the body i think it's kind of strange that there's so many people like screaming to find out what's wrong because usually with crime scenes like that that doesn't happen like i get it's television and they're trying to amp it up but there's a lot of people like trying to get like a statement from grant and it's just not i just don't think it's very realistic uh mora says no obvious signs of injury joey grant comes over they yell at him for trying to touch the scene he's an ass then he ends up finding a skateboard underneath the dumpster and points it out to Jane because he doesn't want to contaminate the crime scene, kind of throwing her words back at her. It's honestly kind of funny. Uh, Morris says he's got a lot of pulp, when <laughs> what she means is got juice. But I feel like if someone told me I had a lot of pulp, I would still take that as a compliment. Uh, Jane finds a school ID in size because he's fifteen, says I'm never having children. And then Morris says, like, yeah, I know obvious signs of death. Um, Then you get the credits. And then after the credits, which I actually um, normally, like, uh, with shows after I get about three or four episodes in, the credits start to really bug me. But I'm wondering if it's because I watched this so many times the first time around that the credits don't phase me anymore. But also I think the credits are actually pretty short. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't pay attention to a lot of other credits, really. But I feel like the credits on this show are pretty short. I don't know. Um, so they're in the morgue. They brought the mom to ID the body, which I think is really sad. This actress is so good. Like, uh, she's really good at turning on, like, fake tears and stuff. I don't know. I really liked her. Um, her name is Deidre Henry, and I don't really know any of the stuff that she's been in, but she was in Bones a couple times, and... The Handmaid's Tale and Shameless, but I don't remember her in any of them, so it must have been, like, a pretty, pretty small, like, part. But I really like her. She's really good. This crying, like, when people fake cry on TV, I'm very judgmental about it. (laughs) And she does a really good, uh, really good job of crying. Um, Jane Rizzoli is smoldery and sad with a trademark symbol. Um, And I need Angie Harmon to do a Revlon ad right now. Like, I know she's done some, like, makeup ads, but, like, Jane Rizzoli needs to do a Revlon ad because that smoldery look is just... Mm. Alright, so uh, the mom tells Jane that they're going through a custody battle, and then later on she lets it slip that the devil got into her son. And she's blaming it all on the bad skateboarding kids, which, come on, leave the skateboarding kids alone. They're probably already sad. Like, the only kids I know that skateboard are just the people who listen to Nirvana and their parents are divorced and they're grumpy. They're not bad people. Um, let's see. And then they end the meeting and they go to the police department. And then Jane just asks Frost his opinion and Frost is like, is it because I'm black? And Jane says no, but what she means is yes. Um... And then it gets a little awkward and then she sends Frost to go do something. And I had to remember that they're still new partners because I've seen the whole series so many times. I forget that they were new at one point in time and I forget that Jane and Frost are still building a rapport and testing boundaries with each other. And so at first I was like, that's a weird question to ask somebody. But then I remembered that they're they're still kind of new to each other and that would be actually pretty in line for something like that. Um, so Jane leaves and she goes and finds Corsack in, uh, the coffee shop at the police department. Actually, you know what? I don't know if it's the one that's at the police department because I know later on there's one, but I don't know if this is the one. Oh, well. Uh, Corsack is very obviously crushing on the barista, but at least the barista is of age and, you know, that's uncommon. Most old men who crush on baristas just awkwardly corner 16 year old girls at Starbucks. So, you know, let's set a good example. Good job, Corsack. I I also lust over anyone who gives me coffee, so I can relate. Like, I I feel Korsak on that level. Like, you give me coffee, we're going to get married. Right? Anyway, Jane asks if he still has an inn in family court. And then Korsak says yes, so she asks him to kind of look into this case on the side. And then Jane tells him he should stick to decaf. And I just have so many feelings about that, because why? Why decaf? I would rather die than drink decaf. Like, I probably should be drinking decaf because I feel like I'm manic all the time because of caffeine, but no. (laughs) No. Um, Okay, so Jane goes down to the morgue and Maura is just talking about all the things it could be, but still ruling them out that there's no obvious signs of death. Um, Maura also makes the offhand comment that, you know, she thinks Detective Grant is sexy if Jane thinks he's sexy. And I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear the words sexy and Detective Grant in the same sentence ever. Just ever. Um, Morris says she's going to run a talk screen. Jane makes the offhand comment that Grant is a brass kisser, which is funny and pretty witty. And then she she mutters the iconic line that he used to call her Roly-Poly Rizzoli Eats Cannoli. And honestly, I wish they had made this a uh, tagline throughout the show because I have never felt something so hard. And then there's Mora the Bora, which I think is adorable, but, you know, that's fine. Um, the two compare childhood traumas, you know, talk about being bullied and such. And uh, Mora kind of turns the conversation back on This kid and the symptoms of what he has in in his lungs are symptoms of an exorcism. And I kind of wish they had done, like, an exorcist type of (laughs) Rizaline Isles episode because that would have been great. But no. Um, They go to Brick to look up, like, stuff about the guy who runs the church the mom goes to. And there's a like, a whole backstory about how the guy who founded the church got arrested for, like, check fraud, and he's just a bad guy, and he's, like, he has a record, and he's embezzling money, and his name is Reginald, which, okay. Um, And I feel like this might be a sensitive topic because Lee Thompson Young is talking a lot about, like false religions and getting wrapped up in cults and how people like this prey on people and I remember um I don't think this is a spoiler because I mean I I mean it may be but Lee Thompson Young actually passed away um a few years after the show started it was in season four if I'm not mistaken and when he first passed away um I think it was 2013 maybe at the end of season three um, There was a lot of really malicious stories that went around from people who knew him saying that he had gotten wrapped up in some sort of backwards religion. And I don't know what ever really happened to those stories just because I didn't follow it too closely. But I remember those coming out and people being like, why are you bringing this up? This dude just passed away. And it was self-inflicted. And it was just really heartbreaking for everybody on the show. But I just feel like that that didn't quite... (laughs) That doesn't look so good now. And there's nothing they can do about it. But I feel like it just... It just shines a light on him that didn't need to be shined. But, you know, whatever. Uh, So back on track. They go to this random church that the mom belongs to. It's really like hole-in-the-wall type thing. Um, And then... So they're talking, and I just want to say that Jane and Mara look like a power couple. They look like a gay power duo. This is good lighting. This is good cinematography. Like this, whoever was running the camera gets a gold star from me. Whoever was doing the makeup gets a gold star from me because everyone just looks nice. It's very simple. Sasha Alexander's hair is literally giving me life. And also, I just put, why the fuck does this man look like Carlton? He looks just like Carlton, and I cannot unsee it. Like, I can't take the episode seriously, because I just want him to dance. (laughs) Alright, so Mora speaks to the woman, and says, may God give his soul rest. In a foreign language, and the lady says, stay in God's peace back. They have random facts about boo-boos. And they make so many jokes about it. And like... They are walking, and it is also giving me life. Just them walking. Just them walking. And also, I'm just going to mention, Mara is in a black dress, and I don't know if they're still trying to go with the whole Maura's a goth thing from the pilot, but I am living for it. I don't know if any of you know me at all, but I love anything spooky and black. Black's my favorite color. It's all I wear. And Maura Isles in black, not at a funeral, is giving me life. Probably even at a funeral, she would give me life, you know? Alright, they make a couple more boo-boo jokes. I'm not gonna lie. It never stops being funny. Uh, So, Jane and Frost go to the kid's dad's house. And just, you know, trying to suss out the situation. And my only question is, and this may be me looking too far into things. Or it may have been on purpose. I know Jane is the head detective, but if she wanted Frost to give his input, why is he standing behind her? Like, if she wanted Frost's input because he was also a black male, even if she was saying it, you know, with a little bit of ignorance, not intentionally, why is he standing behind her and why is he not asking questions? But, you know, I, it's, whatever. I'm reading too far into things I know, but I feel like if they had swapped and Frost had been in the front, it would have not changed the outcome of the scene, but I felt like it would have flowed a little bit better. Um, they talk about how the priest is a crook. The dad was fighting for custody of his son and was about to win. The judge was just about to rule in favor. And there's, like, a side comment about the parents even put off having their own children. Which, I mean, your relationship is your relationship and your business, but uh that's already... A huge red flag like someone called NASCAR because this is a huge red flag. Um, so Jane goes back to the coffee shop where Corsac is still there and still distracted. They talk about they need to put the waitress in the waitress protection program which is actually pretty funny um, and honestly I need a whole show about waitress protection program because that would be great. Um, they said someone's been stealing from her till, which is a pointless line that's throwaway. And we all know that Corsac is not there because there's someone stealing from a till. Uh, Jane makes some offhand comment about how she doesn't need a brownie because she wants to keep her ass small. And that line seemed really out of character and really misplaced. I don't feel like that that's something that Jane would say, but also this is just episode three, so I should stop being so harsh. Um... And then I said, Corsack is serving tea amongst cop- coffee in this shop about Jane and Detective Grant. Like, I think everybody is telling her, like, every single person is telling her how she feels about him. And she is just in denial. Alright, so they go back to the police department and... And I don't really have a lot of notes here. It just kind of says Mora in black in all caps. And then it says Sasha's hair with a lot of R's that are capital letters. Like two whole lines. And then I put Jane and Mora in black dressing looking like spooky scoopy snacks. And then, you know, I just... I just want to appreciate the little black dress. Okay, I've appreciated it enough. We get introduced to the fluff sandwiches, which I personally do not like. It's because they're a little too sweet for me. But I do love marshmallow fluff. And I cannot buy it because I will eat that whole jar. And it is terrible for you. But um, a small plot point that happens throughout the show that I really love is more of finding true happiness in the tiniest of things that she did not experience as a child. We already know that she was an isolated child. She was mocked a lot for being smart and boring and... And we'll find out more about her and her childhood as the show progresses, even if sometimes it doesn't actually line up. However, I feel like Mora finding simple pleasures, thanks to Jane, is something that's really, really cool. And I think that's pretty unique to this show. I think it's one reason why this show succeeded is because instead of talking down about what you would call like like a poor... Or a small-town family hobby or delicacy, like, Fluffernutter sandwiches. Like, being held up as, like, a delicacy in Maura's eyes is, is really cool. It's really cool. And, okay. So, they go to Brick and they start... Oh, this is so cringy. They start talking about nicknames and gang culture. And this is just... This isn't even tongue-in-cheek this is just backseat embarrassing because angie Harmon saying gangsta nicknames took years off my life (laughs) like i just can't and then uh this is where the yo dr death comes into play and then i think jane calls herself j-lo or j-ro and either way no please stop please stop all right so they all head off to a random skate park where once again we're getting like Random POV of people skating, which is cool, because skateboarding is not easy, and it is very cool, but if you'll notice, every single person in this skate park is not white. And, like, I just don't want anyone to be stereotyped or, you know, generalized, and I feel like this show, and every other show, pretty much, that was on at this time and before, tried too hard to... I don't know. It just doesn't sit well. It's not, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too far into it, but I feel like they could have done a much better job. Also, there's only three people there. And if you've ever been to the skate park, you are always fighting for one of the, like, the half pipes. There's not only three people there. And then, um, and I said, why are all the skateboarders speaking like Ice Cube? So, why? TNT, please don't tackle race again. You're a network known for NASCAR. Let's be real. I mean, they tried, but let's not. Um, Frost puts his hands on one of the, uh, the dudes who curbed him because he didn't want to talk to him, and he tackled him against a car, which I'm pretty sure is police brutality, but, you know, this is TV. It doesn't matter, I guess. So, later on, Jane and Mora end up in a parking garage... And Jane is like, oh, I hear something. I hear something. And they get all hush, hush. And you're looking for, like, someone to jump out at them or a jump scare or something. Um, And (laughs) Jane walks up to, I don't know if it's her car or just a cop car, period. But I think it's her car. And she opens the front door and there are snakes. There are motherfucking snakes in this motherfucking cop car. Let's see. And then... It cuts to the cops investigating her car. And I'm just like, would they really use sirens and lights and cop cars for snakes in a car? Like, is that necessary? But, you know, once again, it's just television. Um, Joey Grant is talking to all the police there and then, like, talking to Jane. And he says he believes her, which means a lot to Jane. But also... She's mad that she's getting taken off the case, and he's trying to say like, you know, this is a really weird situation we're in. We can't look like we're coming down on the church. And then it's really just kind of that's it. Um, Jane and Maura are in a restaurant, and I just put Jane and Maura on a date. Um, they're trying to get Mora She's trying to get Maura to make hypothetical guesses. But not guesses, just hypothetical things about what could have happened to this child. Mora has a very obvious internal struggle with the thought of even guessing at something. And said she did some research into hexes. And that some people have gotten so scared by the concept of being hexed or being cursed that they actually... Had heart attacks from the fear and the stress, which I could see happening. I know that's happened in real life before. You pretty much get quite literally scared to death. Um, they talk about anything they were scared of when they were younger or scared of, period. And Jane looks like she's not scared of anything and just off the top of her head says witches because they went to sailing when she was younger. And Maura was like, Oh, you were young, impressionable. And Jane's like, Yeah, I slept with a nightlight. Making it sound like that's the only thing she's scared of. Even though two episodes ago, the very first episode of this entire show, the premise of this entire show was a serial killer that put holes in her hands. And if I actually remember correctly, she said, I have never been so scared in all my life. Because yes, I have seen the pilot to this show so many times. But I'm just like, you really, that was a huge opportunity missed to tie in... This show, like this this episode, with the pilot, and if you look closely, you really don't see scars on her hands. And I feel like that's a problem throughout the whole show is those. Like you can see them in close-ups, but like you don't see them when she's like grabbing a gun or something. And I feel like they really drop the ball on that. But whatever. Um, Morris says she's afraid of flesh-eating bacteria, and honestly, same i don't know you know what any of them are called and she seems to but you know i feel like that's a valid fear um let's see and i i know it's not intentional but the skirt maura is wearing when they serve a warrant or are going to serve a warrant for the church is the same pattern as the boutique's <laughs> dressing room that i really liked from beginning in the episode i just know do i think the show is that smart to do that no But I think it's funny. Um, So they go to a church to serve a warrant. And Jane says the actual phrase, I'm about to serve you a warrant. Which I guess is true because she doesn't have one yet. But uh, Maura says this is a very disruptive way to observe a foreign culture. And honestly, we stand, Maura. Like, that is very true. Um, Everybody... And I, I do not know anything about any of these religions, I didn't really have time to research any of them, and I wouldn't even really know where to start other than Wikipedia, which is frequently incorrect and not peer-reviewed, if you listen to Maura, but it seems like everyone is wearing appropriate garments, it doesn't seem to be appropriation, I still cannot unsee this man looking like Carlton. But, you know, it seems pretty legit. The person who wrote this, I'm hoping, did um, research and making sure that this is pretty sound. And not just played for laughs or disrespectful. Um, and honestly, I like Mora's statement about how, like, exorcism can just be, like, therapy for people. Like, just a cleansing. Um, you get the, uh, the fact that Mora was in Doctors Without Borders. They will mention that later, and I think that's one thing they actually do pretty pretty well with, continuity-wise. But it's very in-character for her to do that. She said she spent two years abroad. Um, so they start observing this exorcism, and I want to criticize this, but it seems no worse than, like, law and order. So, like, I feel like it's pretty on par. I feel like it's not objectifying and it's not mocking their culture at all. So I feel like it's pretty not problematic. But, you know, it could tell a line. Um, then you see... When Jane freaks out about the snake, I put Jane is pretty much perpetually a 12-year-old with a pistol. And it's not... It, I mean, it's pretty true. She's jumpy. She wants to make bad decisions. More is there to tell her not to make these bad decisions. And then all of a sudden, as the crescendo of the... You know, the soundtrack and the plot gets bigger and bigger. Someone throws a Molotov cocktail through the wall. And, oop. And you see Frost run outside and tackle whoever threw the cocktail in. And he's the same kid that was at the skate park. And I'm like, take a tip from a local anarchist and don't wear yellow while throwing Molotov cocktails. Like, that's what you don't do. Um... Jane freaks out because she's late for dinner, and she busts in with some flowers and says she's sorry for being late. She looks really good in the dress. Her mom says she made ragu bolognese, and then, which honestly, I want Angela Rosalie to cook for me. Yes, please. Um, (laughs) And she runs into the living room to set her stuff down, and all of a sudden, there's Joey Grant. And she, Jane runs back in the kitchen and starts screaming at Angela. And I feel like Angela is a psychopath. And honestly, like, I already went off on a tangent about her character, but she is so annoying. Now, later on in the series, when she has some stuff happen to her and ends up being closer to Jane and Mora, she's a little less annoying. But I get what they're trying to cast her as, like the stereotypical, you know, Italian helicopter mom and she's doing it great. Like she plays it fantastically, which is why I don't like her. So I don't, it's nothing about Lorraine Bracco because she is so talented. Honestly, I think she's too talented for this show, but I didn't say that. Um, let's see. Angela says, I need to know that you're being taken care of. And which is kind of a gross statement that Jane can't take care of herself. But also, this is the same mom who yelled at Jane when Frankie hit her in the face. And then also blamed Jane for Frankie wanting to be a cop. Speaking of, where is Frankie? Where's he been? What's he doing? Okay. Um, Jane and her mom start yelling back and forth about Grant. She admits he's cute. Which we all saw coming because... You know we we all been new um he says something about how he hasn't seen her in a dress since senior prom which i kind of like this uh world building where it's like they're actually building a chemistry and a history between jane Rosalie and joey grant and i feel like this is one of the quote-unquote like love interests that they did a really good job just showing the relationship between the two it's not forced it's not all in just one episode and they let little details loose over their relationship like the course of their timeline that makes it just seem like they really have known each other for a long time um so they sit down they start talking and they're actually like good chemistry they start comparing their overprotective mothers And then he says, well, you know, your mom just wants you to be happy. And she says, I don't need a guy to make me happy. And he said, no one's proposing here, so. And then Jane just flipped the switch because now she's grumpy. And he says, this is a bad idea. Tell your mom I said I'm sorry. And Jane says, tell her yourself. And Jane just walks out, just walks out of the house. I want to know if she took her wine with her because I think that's illegal. But, you know, that's fine. Uh, Cut to Jane and Maura in the morgue, which honestly... Like, Jane and Mora in the morgue is my happy place. Every time they are in the morgue together, something funny happens. Especially after a failed date or something. Mora um, says the line, you're gorgeous, my friend. Which is something that fandom just ran with forever. If you hear something in this podcast, it is my cat. He's trying to uh, crawl on me and I can't get him off of me. So if you hear him, you, you can say hi to him. His name is Thrash. I call him the fluff. Anyway, I just put in all capital letters, wine and cheese. Wine and cheese is my OTP. My my ultimate ship. So, Jane makes an offhand comment about how the cheese came from the dead fridge. Which is really funny. And then you get, like, Jane talking about Grant some more. Pretty good, like, like conversation between Jane and Maura about how... You know, she hates him, but she doesn't hate him. And how he's cute. Mora plus cheese equals my sexual awakening. And then Jane gets uncomfortable and just goes, off to solve a murder. Which, I think if you have had, like, more than two glasses of wine, you probably should not go solve a murder. But, oh, well, maybe it makes it fun. And then you cut to a scene with Joe Friday, who we all know is the star of the show. She's my favorite. She is adorable. Um... And then I put Jane plus crime scene photos plus beer equals another sexual awakening. Because we've been new. Uh, So Jane spreads all the crime scene photos out on her table. And just kind of starts looking at them. Like a pretty, pretty standard scene. Um, You see blood on the floor next to her foot. And she, like, touches the blood and sees that it's fresh. She grabs her gun out of its holster without using the blood fingers, which is kind of funny. Um, she trace, she, like, follows the blood trace into her kitchen. And I really like the, the really, like, really her white socks next to the blood visual. That's pretty cool. I feel like it, the contrast of the socks makes the blood stand out more. And also we've all stepped on something wearing white socks and been, ugh. Uh, the victim is laying in her kitchen, bleeding out, and he's handing her a plant. They do a really weird like cut from him on the floor, him sitting up, and then him handing her a plant. And I can't tell if it was done to be a specific style or if it's done just to save money because they didn't want to have some really long drawn out zombie scene. Or maybe that was just Jane blinking. I don't know. Jane wakes up to glass breaking. It was a dream. She looks around really, really confused for a minute. And then gets up and goes to her kitchen. It fights flowers on the floor. So she calls Mora to come over, and Mora comes over in very chic looking pajamas, which I love. I love when Mora shows up in chic looking pajamas or she has like in the pilot when she said these are my work clothes and they're still really fancy uh, she asks Mora to look to do a talk screen another one and Mora's like well what do you want me to look for and Jane said I can't believe I'm saying this but a purple poisonous poisonous plant and then Mora just pulls up some pictures and starts looking at his like the victim's like Skin and stuff and I'm like can she get to crime scene photos on Wi-Fi because that seems a really unsafe Just saying I Think the plant is called monkshood if I'm not mistaken and it's common in Boston and poisonous and works very quickly uh, Back at the police department Mora runs a report the tox screen report and it comes up positive positive. Then Jane says, you know, can you trace the genetic makeup of that monk's hood to its original plant?" And Maura's like, no. And she's like, can you lie about it? And Maura was like, also no. She hyperventilates. And then Jane says something like, you've never lied to a man and told him that he was good when he wasn't? And Maura's like, no. And she's like, do you like this shirt with this jacket? And Mora also says no. She has scalding fashion tea. Mora is always here to give you constructive criticism and not lie to you. Um, so Jane and Mora and Frost all head over to the house, um, their dad's house, or the victim's dad's house, and they're talking on the porch, and Jane looks over and and says you know this plant is how he died like it could it works really quickly it could even be ingested in water and then the the stepmom looks super suspicious and like honestly kind of reminds me of kitty foreman from that 70s show i don't know why But she gets all nervous and is like, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. And then Jane lies for Mora and says, you know, you know, Mora can look up the, can match the genetics of this plant to the plant that killed him. And then Mora just kind of supplements with, I can do genetics, (laughs) like unhelpful, but as best as she can do. And then the mom or the stepmom admits that she killed her son because, I guess her stepson, Because the custody battle was going to go on forever and the Bob was going to keep fighting for custody, no matter what they did, and it was going to take all their time and resources and she just wanted kids. And so for some reason, if she killed this kid, this man would be willing to have children with her afterwards? Like, hello, you killed my son, let's have a family? No. Anyway, I really don't like the ending. It feels like, it feels too easy, honestly. But it's fine. And you have have to look at the bigger picture, which is this white stepmother killed her black son. And unfortunately, we see a lot of these stories in today's climate. I know this came out in 2010, so things were a little bit different then. But now if you look at, you know, stories today, this is pretty common. It's really sad that it has to be talked about. But I feel like I couldn't ethically go through this episode without mentioning it. Um, it is really sad. I don't know if they intended to have this type of, like, higher meaning. But it definitely reads that way, especially in a world that we live in now. And if any of you are who are listening do not live in the United States, I don't expect you to know. It's okay. Um, if I make you uncomfortable by talking about things like this, that's actually a good thing. Um, I would love to continue this discussion. If you have any feelings on it, you can email me at shippinguptobostonpod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram, shippinguptobostonpod. Or Twitter, shipping up pod, shipping up to pod. Or my my personal socials are all under Kathy sucks. Um, with two exes, I would be totally willing to have this conversation in private as well. Um, I just feel like this show tried to broach a subject and didn't quite do it, but it's also supposed to be a lighthearted show, so it may not have meant that at all. But anyway, back, back to the episode. Um, so it's pouring and Joey Grant is sitting out on the stairs in front of Jane's apartment and it's kind of cute, not gonna lie. Um, Jane walks up and they sit down and they start talking and it's kind of cute. I don't really ship it, but I don't hate it. They did a good job giving him character and I, I really hate Donnie Wahlberg for no reason. Like, literally it's unfounded. But I, in the last episode I went about on about how much I don't like John, Donnie Wahlberg. But, you know, they, they start, they kiss in the rain. It's really cliche. It's kind of cute. And he says he's moving to Washington, and it looks like he wants her to say, please stay, but she says, have fun in Washington. And, oof, that was a good way of Jane saying, like, I'm not interested, have fun in Washington. Which, I mean, go Jane. She doesn't need a man to make her happy. And that's the end of the episode. Jane goes in and just leaves Grant sitting on the stairs in the rain. So, like, yikes. Um, in total, this episode is pretty entertaining. Um, while some of it falls a little flat, it's nowhere near as bad as some other episodes that shows have done. Um, it didn't really appropriate anything because these people really didn't get in on like any of the culture, although they had more speaking some foreign languages, which isn't bad. We all know that she is good at facts and good at knowing things and research. So for her to pop off about boo-boos is pretty in character. And she usually does it pretty respectfully. And she never tried to, like, get into their culture. And, but I do feel like it kind of played off this sect of religion in a bad way. But also, the the guy who's running it was convicted of check fraud. So, you know, it, in the end, it's just a show on TNT. It's not some educational programming. So it did what it did. I really love some of the character building it did for Maura and Jane talking about their childhoods and how, you know, they were bullied and what they were teased for. Jane mentioned that she was chubby and athletic. And I mean, honestly, I was chubby and athletic at that age. So if I can grow up to look like Angie Harmon, I'm also 30 years old. But if I can grow up to look like Angie Harmon, you know, life wouldn't be so bad. (laughs) Also, I was like book smart as a child. So if I could grow up to be anything like, you know, more Isles, I would be also pretty thankful for that, for anyone who's listening. You know, make it happen. No, I just, I, I really like all the shippy moments we had, and I I don't want to dismiss the Joey Grant and, like, Angie, Angie Harmon, Jane Rizzoli, like, eye contact in the rain, because it did look cute. But, also there was a lot of <laughs> Mora and Jane eye contact as well, and we all know that I ship... Rizzles, like no tomorrow. It took up like five years of my life, if not more. And I don't really want to get into the sexuality of the characters just because we're only on episode three. I can't, I can't call it definitively, but as someone who is bisexual, (laughs) Jane strikes me as very bisexual, but I could also be projecting. Um, Anyway, so that was episode three, Sympathy for the Devil. I'm trying to release these episodes every two weeks on a Friday. Uh, Right now, I am trying to launch a clothing line. (laughs) I'm also training for a powerlifting meet. I work full time and I have this podcast. So, so far, I've been able to do everything in pretty good time. Um, However, if there is any scheduling errors, I will make it known on the socials. Uh, just to repeat for those people who didn't have my social medias or weren't listening before, my Instagram is shipping up to Boston Pod. You can follow us there. I'm trying to make edits for every episode that I do. It's I, it's something I just like doing. Um, I have a Tumblr. It is Kathy Sucks with three X's because someone with two took it before me. Um, and then I also have one where I just, I used to take screen caps from the Resilient Isles episodes and just edit them, make them look cool. That's Kathy makes stuff. I don't really use Tumblr anymore because I kind of fell out of love with them once they started quote unquote trying to like clean it up and all they did was <laughs> make it worse. Um, the, my Twitter is, my personal Twitter is Kathy sucks with two X's. Otherwise it's shipping. Up to pod. So there's no word Boston because you know character limits and all. So it's shipping up to pod. I'm really good at staying on top of the social medias. Um, so you can email us also at shippinguptobostonpod at gmail.com. And I check all these things pretty regularly and I'm totally willing to have any conversations about anything. Like I said, if you have any fan works or any projects you want me to shout out or take a look at, I will. I don't really have time to read fan fiction right now, but if you have like a vid you've made or if you have an opinion on Rizzoli Isles, you can send it to me. I'll read it on the podcast. Um, If it's got spoilers in it, I probably won't read it, but I will reply to you. I love talking about this show because I feel like this show... I have respect for it, and it sounds like I actually hate this show, but I don't. I have a lot of constructive criticism about this show, but, I mean, it's a TNT drama from 2010 that was never supposed to get as famous as it did, and it also, in my case, made me very aware of what queer baiting is, and while we'll save that talk for episode six, I... I have a lot of complicated feelings around it that I'm totally willing to discuss, but I don't want to spoil anybody, especially if you're watching along. Um, I am currently watching it on Hulu, but I do remember when I first got into the show, I watched it on YouTube, so you might be able to find it there, or you can get the DVDs. Um, Yeah, so that was episode three. I'll stop blabbering on now. I've got stuff to do. But uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful day, and thank you for listening. And remember, keep on shipping.